BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap. Claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 322, coming to you on trade deadline day, July 31st, which is also our final off-season podcast of the season we're going to talk about the trojans going into fall camp as always you can follow us on twitter at reign of troy like us on facebook facebook.com slash reign of troy be sure to subscribe to us on apple podcasts stitcher tune in overcast google play and spreaker our bonus episodes are on patreon patreon.com slash reign of troy our email address is reign of troy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872 I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. The final off-season episode for us, even though, I mean, the season is still like 31 days away. Yeah, it's I, I'm sort of gearing up, embracing myself for the end of any free time that I imagined that I had this off-season. Uh, yeah, Friday Friday is basically the, uh, the day which I, I give up my life for USC football. Not that I'm complaining, because it's kind of awesome that I get to do that, but also, ooh, August is a marathon. How would you compare the first day of fall camp to the to the first day of school, like going back to school? It's something. It is something like that. It's like where like, like, do, you, do you plan out your outfit and the whole bit? Like, yeah. Well, you you <laughs> got to wear of those like kind the, of things. You you like double check your backpack. You make sure you have everything in it. Everything's new and sort of like neat and organized and put together and all. Yeah, it's very much like the first day of school. Yeah, and for a lot of these guys uh, on Friday, they'll be their first competition at USC uh, in different battles as true freshmen or whatnot. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Uh, part of that is because we've been doing episodes every single day over at Patreon, Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Here on this episode, we're going to talk about USC going to fall camp, preview fall camp a little bit, but it's not totally a fall camp preview in the same sense that we've been doing 
over on Patreon. On Patreon, I've been doing position-by-position breakdowns, previews every single day. Today, Wednesday, is the eighth part talking about the quarterbacks. So go listen to that if you are subscribed on Patreon. If you're not, now is the perfect time to do it because... Not only do you get our 10-part series talking about all the position battles and the position groups and all that kind of stuff, but, Alicia, your practice car casts start on Friday. Yeah, yeah, practice car casts. And fall camp is five days a week, Monday through Thursday and Saturday, which means that five days a week, Monday through Thursday and Saturday, you guys will be getting a practice car cast, or at least our patrons will be getting a practice car cast, running down everything that happens on Howard Jones Field, who's standing out, who's making an impression, who's not making an impression, what players are saying, what coaches are saying. All the little tidbits that we can get from the practice field will be in those practice car casts, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and you'll want to take advantage of those practice car casts because they will change a little bit as the season begins and USC goes into game week preparation because the practices kind of the access for media will be cut back, but that's not the case for fall camp. So... All throughout fall camp, you'll be you'll be there at practice every single day to be able to, be able to see as much as you can, uh, so you can really get a lot out of those practice car casts. Again, patreon.com slash reign of troy. All of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five a month. That's like less than a six dollar burger for sure. I mean, literally, literally less than a six dollar burger. <laughs> I don't even think it's called the six dollar burger anymore. But yeah, I feel like the six dollar burger is now eight dollars. So well, something like that. <laughs> you it's, know. So it's definitely less than that. It's less than whatever fancy coffee drink you'd get at Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, and and you're getting tons and tons and tons of content. And uh, we think it's certainly worth it. And uh, our our patrons so far seem to think that it's worth it. So, yeah. Yep. And you get a sticker in the mail as well uh, that we send to you when you sign up. So keep your eye open for that if you haven't got your sticker. Uh, and if you haven't signed up yet, sign up and then keep your eye open for that sticker as well. Uh, let's get into this episode. Talk about fall camp. USC going into it starts on Friday. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, we're going to talk about news for a quick, quick minute here. Uh, two little news updates. First one, while we were writing our rundown here for Reign of Troy Radio, USC got a new commitment. Three-star defensive tackle Jamar Sakona commits to USC out of Marin uh, Catholic. This is an interesting pickup for USC because he's the second on the defensive line, and the Trojans desperately need more defensive linemen. I mean, J. Tufele, Marlon Tui-Pelotu, Brandon Peely, Christian Rector, Connor Murphy. I can go on and on and on about the the guys that are draft eligible for USC after the season. So you need to be conscious of that and start stockpiling on defensive talent. Yeah, and in and in this case, you always want to have D, DTs, uh, big guys, the the big bodies in the trenches. USC has not done a good enough job of recruiting uh, quality and quantity. There, they've gotten some really quality guys, but. It, too many of USC's recent classes haven't included enough DTs, enough um, people who are going to establish USC in the trenches. And that has been a problem in years past uh, because injuries happen there and you run out of bodies and you have to throw guys in uh, ahead of schedule. So 
the more uh, defensive linemen that USC picks up in this class and, and going forward, the more confident I'll feel. They, they are definitely, I mean, look at this class. People are going to do their whining about the three-star recruits, but they are absolutely loading up on players who can play in the trenches. And I think that's important regardless of sort of what uh, what star rankings that you're looking at, particularly in this case, because, you know, Jamar Sakona is literally... 18 places away from being a four-star recruit. So the semantics of three stars, four stars, it, it doesn't really matter to me here. It's, it's, he's a, a six, two, 305 pound body. That's, that sounds pretty good to me. Now, I, I don't want to completely disagree with what you're saying, but I, do you, do you see the humor in the, the whole place where we're at at this point where, yeah, he's a three-star, but but like he's only 18 spots away from being a four-star, so he's basically a four-star. You see how awkward that is? No, I'm just saying that if people are rolling their eyes, oh, another three-star, like... Yeah, but I don't what? think saying, well, yeah, but he's almost a four-star is making it any no, better. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it any better. No, I'm I, trying I to, I'm to, not, to I'm cut necessarily... people off at the... At the curve of of trying to act like this is somehow lesser than what USC should be recruiting, um, he he's more highly ranked than USC's starting defensive end going into this year, Christian Rector, who was a three star guy. I mean, I literally just wrote a big thing about Christian Rector for Ranitro.com, a three star guy who has obviously become an important figure for USC's uh, USC's defense. Like, I, I just you know. It, Especially when you get into the, into the semantics of he's a four star in twenty four seven sports, so if people want to look at it that way, maybe that'll make people feel better. I don't know. There you go. See, that, that's better. I, I like that argument uh, better. Uh, I think mostly, and you know, we we keep saying that the problem isn't that USC is signing three stars or getting commits from three stars and eventually signing them. It's that they're not getting the five star guys. So don't blame Jamar Sakona for being a three star. Uh, he's someone who has turned heads, uh, at least at 24-7. So we'll see what he can do for USC if he ultimately stays committed and signs um, just another body that SC definitely needs up front. Uh, let's talk about the other news with this week, uh, since it's been kind of a quiet week after Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, SC finally sent out the season tickets. Uh, this is a season in which SC has six home games. So these are the tickets. Austin Jackson is on the Fresno State game. Vivai Malapai is on the Stanford game. John Houston Jr. Uh, against Utah. Christian Rector against Arizona. Tyler Vons against Oregon. And Michael Pittman against UCLA last game of the year. There's a couple of interesting omissions here. Namely, JT Daniels and Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, which, um, you know, me liking to uh, enjoying the whole reading too much into things as as we've gotten into on the last couple of podcasts, uh, you could read into this as they're hedging their bets and making sure that JT isn't on one of these tickets in case he's not the starting quarterback. Um, I won't go that far uh, because to me, it just looks like USC is is uh, prioritizing seniority when it comes to who is on these uh, these tickets. And I think that's what you see. You see the sort of seniors, uh, veteran guys. Uh, when when there's a, a question of, you know, who is going to represent what position, uh, you, you basically it looks like they defaulted to the more veteran guy. This is why I think Vivai Malapai is on there. He's the redshirt junior in that group. 
uh, ahead of Stephen Carr, for instance. Um, Austin Jackson, he's the junior on the offensive line. There's really no one else to put on the offensive line there. Uh, and and the receivers, you get the veteran guys, Tyler Bonds, Michael Pittman. And at linebacker, you get the veteran guy, John Houston, and the veteran guy, Christian Rector, instead of Palaye Nateote, instead of J2 Fele, instead of Amonar St. Brown. You know, instead of all of the, the, the bright, shiny new toys, I think you're just looking at veteran guys that they're giving that nod to because they deserve it. To, you know, seniors, redshirt, redshirt juniors uh, deserve that uh, the, the place on those tickets where you figure the other guys will get their turn. Yeah, that all makes sense for sure. I, I just think it's interesting that arguably USC's three most marketable players or three of the top four or five players are JT Daniels, Amonara St. Brown, and Palier Naoteote. And they're they're not here, but they're young guys. They they still have opportunities. They'll be on the tickets at some point. Uh, other little things of note here: uh, only two mentions of corporate sponsors. Uh, the game home game two against Stanford has a little United Airlines logo on it, and game three against Utah has a UPS logo on it. Very small. I don't care about these things, but I think it's interesting. Uh, that it's there. You don't see like United Airlines field plastered all over this thing, which I, I think is is comforting for those people who are opposed to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I I'm I've never been one to be opposed to advertising uh, because I know that it's part of the way that the world works these days, and most of the time it's not that obstructive. Like I was more offended by the presence of the Audi suites than the fact that Audi was sponsoring them so like that kind of thing uh i i can't really the the united airlines coliseum i I couldn't really muster up a lot of anger over it either so meh whatever the the other thing i noticed and i don't know why it took this for me to notice it how weird is it that three of sc's first four games are at home and then what what is it five of the last seven are on the road yeah, and five of the la- five of the last eight. I mean, I guess that isn't totally weird, but just when you look at the tickets like this, literally half of them are going to be spent in the first four games of the season. I feel like that happens when USC is playing Notre Dame away, though, because like when you get the Notre Dame home game in November, then it kind of skews the the home away. Uh, balance there a little bit more where when you when you are on the Notre Dame away trip you're kind of just ending up with more away games and you know that's the what the re- isn't that the reason why they're going to the seven home game thing like yeah i mean going forward there's going to be seven home games uh so that'll make it a little bit easier for USA and they get more uh more more games and you won't be able to say uh just 3 weeks into the season wow all the half the home games are already already gone but um anyways that's all it, all we got for news uh so let's get into the fall camp preview stuff up next All right, Lisa, let's talk about fall camp. Starts on Friday. Should be exciting to see everything coming together. We're going to talk about this from a very simple perspective. Two main things. We're going to talk about big questions and player superlatives. Uh, If you want to listen to us talk about position-by-position breakdowns, again, go listen to that over on Patreon. 
patreon.com slash Troy, where you can listen to all of those episodes that we've put together. Also on reignoftroy.com, we have the position-by-position breakdowns in writing as well. You can read it over there, reignoftroy.com. But let's talk about the three big questions going into USC's fall camp. The first one, are Clay Helton's changes for real? I think this is the question that I don't necessarily know that we'll get a full answer in fall camp, but the answer will start to come to bear some sort of fruit, if so, right? Like, I think you're going to, if things are changed, there's going to be a different mood. There's going to be a different um, vibe, a different feel, a different uh, performance from the players, all that kind of stuff we would be able to see right away, right? Or at least maybe it's it's not that it would be proven that they are for real, but it could be proven that they aren't for real. For sure. W- with that vibe, if the vibe is more last year's camps, last year's practices than what we saw in spring camp, then that will kind of disprove this whole like everything has changed narrative that 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 is going around right now. Um, one of the nice things about spring camp was how physical th- physical they were, how much they emphasized competition, um, the competition period at the end of every practice, all of those things that, uh, like I, for instance, praised them for throughout spring camp. If we go into fall camp and all of those things are gone, then that'll be a bummer, and that'll kind of uh, give give the lie to, to all the things that everyone has been saying this whole time. Now, Clay Helton at, at Pac-12 Media Day said that those things that that the physicality and all that kind of stuff will continue in fall camp. But he's also said those kinds of things about being physical when they clearly weren't being that physical in practice uh, in the past. And we've seen them revert from what was a pretty physical fall camp last year into, or at least a physical like mock game week into not so much into more conventional kind of just going through the motions during the season. So Tracking all of those things will be a process, but it, like I'm sort of, I'll be looking out for the when, if or when the cracks start to show. Less than this is proof that the changes have happened. More so, looking for the denials of of where things haven't actually changed or aren't actually changing enough. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting is that I think it's simple to cite change as good, uh, right? Like. Yeah. Oh, well, they're doing something that, that's different. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. Um, and so that's going to be the thing that I want to be able to find out. Um, I don't necessarily think that that will come to show in fall camp, but certainly during the season, um, that change isn't always for the better. Um, sometimes you can do you can change and get the similar results, right? But it doesn't mean that it's not a change, too. So there's different ways to to figure out um, you know, the benefits of what USA is doing and what these changes are that Clay Helton has, has instituted and whether or not they're actually going to give value to the Trojans. Uh, the, the second big question going into fall camp is, who, who's going to be the quarterback? Uh, this is going to be something that's going to go on throughout fall camp. Clay Helton said that he'll take as many as 25 practices. Uh, you might see it go on all the way to mock game week, potentially after that. Uh, it's JT Daniels versus Jack Sears versus Matt Fink versus, I guess, Keaton Slovis. You can throw him in there, too. It, it's going to be an interesting battle because we saw a little bit of it in spring camp. Alicia, you talked about it ad nauseum at the time that those guys were just about the same area, that nobody had necessarily completely separated. 
but it was also a transition phase with the scheme. So, so is fall camp going to be different? Are these guys going to come back and really be able to take the next step um, and just be able to write off spring as a transition period? That's the hope, right? Like if, if we go into fall camp and it looks the same from the quarterback perspective as it was in spring, then that's not a good sign. And, and my optimistic ways of, of this offseason will will be dampered quite a bit. Uh, I, I do need to see a little bit more from all of the quarterbacks uh, in terms of how quickly they're grasping this offense, because one thing that you've said uh, pretty much throughout this whole this whole process with Graham Harrell is the quarterback shouldn't matter that much because the system is designed to have the quarterback be just sort of this like it's, it's the system quarterback question, right? Uh, if you have a system that's going to get the most out of your quarterback, it, it matters less about who that quarterback is. Um, that only will work if that comes to pass in, in fall camp, right? Like the the idea, which I think you are a little you, you are onto something there. The idea that the quarterback doesn't matter only follows through if all of the quarterbacks then appear to have taken that next big step in fall camp. If they're all still stuck in the same sort of good but not great stage that they were at in spring camp, then the worries over how much the quarterback is going to matter in the fall ramp up quite a bit. Because if they haven't picked things up by by then, then they're they're you know you can't expect them to be making big strides in September or October or November. Like by then, it'd be too late. Yeah, they're gonna have to at, at some point. And we we talked about it on our fall camp preview episode, talking about the quarterbacks. That it's it's gonna be interesting for someone like Keaton Slovis, who's definitely on the outside looking in. Um, but in in the scenario, and mind you, this is like a 2% chance of this happening, if that. If he happens to win the job, well, that would be a huge feather in his cap. Um, and I mean this as no disrespect to Keaton Slovis, but it would be a disaster for USC because of what it meant for everybody else. It's kind of the opposite of what I've been kind of you know saying that SC would be in the best situation for is if everyone plays in the system well enough because the system is tailored to them that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, then the worst possible scenario is that Keaton Slovis comes in and wins the job because no one looks good in the, in the system except for Slovis, who, by the luxury of being um, in year one in the new system, has the same amount of time under the system as everybody else. Yeah, and it would be a, a really, really bad sign for JT Daniels, who has a year of starting experience under his belt and should be well ahead of of Keaton Slovis and Matt Fink and Jack Sears should be well ahead of Keaton Slovis. Um, no offense to him, uh, I think Keaton impressed a lot of people in in the spring, but he really has no business being up in that group. And I think part of the reason why he was able to look as good as he did was because the other three were just okay. And I don't want to act like they were bad because I don't think they were bad in the same way that. Sears and Fink were bad in the um, 2017 in the sorry in the 2018 um, spring camp like they weren't it, it wasn't like that it was just sort of like in the middle of the road like I, I would just give everyone like an average grade right but but what's bad and what is just going through the transition that's what we're going to find out Exactly. Well, I mean, in 2018, what was bad was Jack Sears and Matt Fink throwing interceptions left and oh, right. And, right, right. But I, I'm talking about now. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. And so we were able to shrug off the mehness of USC's quarterbacks in the spring uh, for the most part because it was that first spring getting used to Graham Harrell's new system, getting used to the speed that they all needed to be going at, um, uh, settling into the new voices in their head and and all of the, those things, new receivers, uh, figuring out all of the, the uh, chemistry with them and everything like that. You can write all that off. There's very good reasons why spring camp quarterback performances aren't stellar. But by fall camp, you need all of that to be gone. They've they've had a summer. They've they were given a a, a roadmap by Graham Harrell. Each of them was explained. Here's what you need to work on this summer. Here's what you need to get better at. And so if they didn't take that seriously and didn't work to really really improve and take great strides going into fall camp, then USC is going to be in trouble. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that we're going to have to. You know, we're going to see that in the first couple of weeks of uh, of camp. We're going to see who moved along and who sort of stayed static, and that's ultimately going to desert, going to determine who wins the starting job. Uh, and and hopefully, the best case scenario, like you've sort of been getting at, is that they all take that step up, and the quarterback you you get to a point where it doesn't matter which of them wins the starting job because they're all at a level that could guide USC in this offense to be, you know, that touchdown better that USC needs them to be. Sure. And to be fair, I don't think that necessarily has been my point. My point is more so, Ben, that the scheme is going to be tailored to put them in position to be that way. Right. Uh, It's just a matter of them getting to that point. Well, they need to be at a minimum level for that to work. Sure. 100%. Right? Yeah. Like a a, a system, system quarterbacks get knocked because they are propped up by the system, but they have to be... They have to bring a certain bare minimum level of of skill and uh, and and uh, instinct and all of those things. Like you could put a you could put me in a system and I would not be a good quarterback. You know, like you have to have the, a, a level that allows you to succeed. For sure. Uh, let's talk about the defense here and get into the biggest question going going on around the defense. I, I think we can look at all the talent in the front seven and be intrigued. Uh, and, and feel maybe uh, of of all the the units for USC, I think the linebackers and the defensive line are ones that you can feel comfortable with. Um, I mean, obviously the wide receivers, but on defense, you can feel comfortable about the defensive line and about the linebackers, given the 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 talent there and the experience. Even though SC lost a lot of guys last year, but it's the secondary where it's just. Question mark city. Gone is a Jana Harris. Gone is a, uh, Isaiah Langley. Gone is Jonathan Lockett, Biggie Marshall, Marvell Tell. They're all gone. They're all guys who had starts under their belt. How does USC replace them? Yes, Talano Hufanga is back. Yes, um, Isaiah Polamau is back. But these are guys with, with injury histories. Uh, at, at corner, you're looking at you know Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart, guys that had four and five star rankings that were really highly rated and all this kind of stuff, but haven't necessarily proven it on the field yet because they're, they're young and they haven't got completely that much of an opportunity or they're just still young and still need to show it more. So what the hell do you make of the defensive backs? I know we talked about it on Patreon for like a half hour and struggled to do it, but how, 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 how do you make sense of any of this? I, I don't, I, I don't know. 
Well, that sort of gets in <laughs> that Patreon episode was very much a, well, it could go like this, but I don't know. And it could go like this, but I don't know. And maybe this and I don't know. And who the heck knows? Like, that's basically what we what we concluded. And that's that's all you can do. That's all you can do with this. I can make very educated guesses that Isaiah Pulamau and Talano Hufanga will be USC's starting safeties. And that Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart will be USC starting cornerbacks. And the the one that I'm willing to write in, in permanent marker is that Chase Williams will be USC's starting nickelback. But with the exception of Chase Williams, every other position there is subject to fate almost. You know, like you mentioned, I can't guarantee that Isaiah, that Isaiah Polamau will be available for USC in week one. I can't because or week two or week three, because we've seen for two years what his injury record looks like. I can't guarantee that, that Talano Hufanga will be available for USC in September because in the last, what, eight months, he's broken his collarbone twice. Like, I, I don't know what's going on with him physically. And when it comes to the corners, I mean, again, Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart, I think they certainly have talent, but USC is bringing in a, a squad of new defensive backs, any one of whom could make a breakout and 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 win a starting job outright whether that's Chris Steele or Adonis Ote or Max Williams or any one of the what is what is it eight DBs that USC is bringing in almost all of which are versatile players who can play any of the three secondary positions that USC has so I don't even know what positions half of these guys are going to be playing yeah there's so many million question marks, especially because I feel like everything has an if. Talano Hufanga, I think 100% will be USC starting safety if he's healthy. Yes. Right? If. But that's a big if because, we, like you said, we've seen him break his collarbone twice in the last eight months. Uh, Isaiah Pulamau will be USC starting safety opposite of Talano Hufanga if he's healthy and stays healthy. Uh, Elijah Griffin will be probably USC's starting corner if he plays up to his potential coming out of high school that people expected and all that kind of stuff. I, I think that he has the the positioning to be able to be kind of like the leader in the clubhouse. Um, mind you, nobody has uh, anything locked down at corner, but if he plays up to his potential, he should be a starter along with ITS, right? But again... Yeah. If it's just if 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 and city on, and and on ITS he looked good in spring, but he didn't have anybody. He wasn't competing any against anybody in spring. He didn't have anyone put. There was literally no one else to take those first team reps. So if what we saw in spring was true, was was a true marker of what his level could be, then he'll be the starter. But I can't say because it, for all I know, it was an illusion. Yeah, you, you need to see it. And I, I'm interested to, to know what happens with Britton Allen and Max Williams. Uh, aside from Chris Steele, I think those are two guys who could play as, as true freshmen and see an impact. Britton Allen started at corner, moved to safety during the spring, and you guys all raved about him. You did. Our friends over at USCfootball.com raved about him, uh, that he was visible. And how do you notice someone on the field? And, and how do you first spot that they're making plays? You just do. Once you see that you're seeing them, that's how you know that they're impacting the game. Um, and he was visible for you guys, right? And Max Williams, someone who's coming off of an ACL tear uh, that 
all the reports have been how he's far and away ahead of where he should be or where he was expected to be, and he's making plays when he gets opportunities in limited run that he's gotten. So what is it going to be for him? What's the situation for him? I don't know. I think we're going we're gonna to find that out. But those are interesting wrinkles on top of this, uh, especially when you look at the rest of the freshmen. And there's a lot of guys here who I, I think have the, the fortune of not being rushed into anything. When you got guys like Jaden Williams and uh, Carolina Makaula and Dorian Hewitt, um, potentially those are all safeties who I think that are in a good position to maybe not have to, to play early, super early. Um, but that still goes back into banking on the health of IPM and Hufanga. Yeah, and, and even at safety, someone we haven't mentioned, C.J. Pollard. C.J. Pollard could force his way in to be a third man in that rotation uh, this this fall. He he didn't get the chance in, in spring camp because he had a, he had a, a broken foot or a long-term foot injury. Uh, but he's going to be a, another wild card in there where will it be a situation where he is a straight up backup or will it be a situation where he forces his way into play? Will will any of those other safeties force their way into play, uh, assuming that the other two are healthy? Like there are all things appear possible. One thing that I'm really looking forward to first thing on Friday. Yeah, you can pat- our our patrons can bet that one of the first things I will address on Friday is where is everyone lining up? Who's a safety? Who's a corner? Who's a nickel? Because until we know any of that, I can't even tell you if Dorian Hewitt's going to be competing uh, at safety for USC, if he's going to be a factor there, or Kaolana, uh, Kaolana Makaula. Because for all I know, we may see those guys get a, get a look at corner. We may see those guys get a look at nickel. Like there, There's a lot of moving parts in that secondary that are going to be very, very intriguing in the first week of, in the first weekend of camp, and that's something that I'm quite looking forward to, actually. Yeah, a lot of moving parts, a, a lot of questions that you might get a little slight answer to on Friday, or at least starting on Friday. Uh, but those are our three big questions going into full camp. Uh, are Helton's changes for reals? Who is the quarterback? And how will the secondary shake out? Probably won't get solid answers until the end of fall camp. Definitely get more answers as you get into uh, September. But let's talk about the superlatives. Alisa, who has the most to gain this fall, in, in fall camp, for USA? I think the person who has the most to gain is probably someone like uh, Greg Johnson or Chris Steele or any one of the, the Adonis Ote, Max Williams, any one of those secondary guys that we've t- that we've spoken about. Because there are starting jobs up for up for grabs at the at the cornerback positions, and I don't think that Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart, as much as I think they are favorites to win those jobs, I don't think that they are guaranteed in any way, shape, or form. So, if there's a starting like if there are starting positions open, it's the two cornerback spots are are very 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 much up for grabs. And they're starting basically from a clean slate because they have a new cor- a new uh, assistant coach and a new cornerbacks um, coach there. Greg Burns could be looking at things from a different perspective and and favoring different uh, aspects of of his corners to, to decide who's going to start. And because nobody was available in spring, we didn't learn anything in spring. So that's going to be the the area where if you want to start as a true freshman, 
you got a really good opportunity if you're a cornerback to the, this year. Yeah, I don't think there's any other position group that has a player with the most to gain um, than the defensive backfield. Because I think, for the most part, I think so many of these position groups are kind of either set and or in a position where there's going to be a lot of rotation. And I think there's going to be a lot of rotation in the defensive backfield, but when there isn't any sort of clear path to who the starters are, especially at at corner, um, at least relatively speaking, I think that that definitely allows those guys to have an opportunity there. I do like the idea of Max Williams potentially being the, the guy who has the most to gain because he can just come in and kind of force his way in there uh, if, if everything that everyone's saying about him ends up being the case. Uh, who has the most to lose? Um, I keep going, racking my brain around this, and I keep coming back to one person. I'm curious if you have the same person here. Uh, my pick for this is Jalen McKenzie. Uh, Ooh, you, that's a good one. That's a good, not who yeah. I was picking, but okay. Well, that's good then. So we have, we're, we're, we're hitting on two different people. So yeah, Jalen McKenzie was uh, the first team guy at, uh, at at right tackle in the spring. And he's been talked about by a lot of different people, not just, you know, Clay Hilton's brought him up. Other players that I've talked to have brought him up as a, a guy who's emerging as a leader on the offensive line, which I find very interesting because USC just went out and recruited a grad transfer in the, by the name of Drew Richmond. So Drew Richmond played uh, tackle for Tennessee before transferring over to USC. And that's now the big battle of fall camp, I think, is Drew Richmond versus Jalen McKenzie. And Jalen McKenzie could lose what looked like a locked-in starting job. Uh, the intrigue comes in with the fact that Drew Richmond can play guard. And so maybe maybe we see him challenge someone like Andrew Voorhees. And then that changes the equation of who has the most to, to lose. But at this stage, I have to assume that Drew Richmond is coming in as a tackle. And I have to assume he's coming in to start. So. Jalen McKenzie is going to have a battle on his hand, and uh, I think ultimately that will be a good thing because competition is always good. If Drew Richmond and Jalen McKenzie push each other to be the best tackles that they can be, then that's ultimately good for USC. But it could result in a bit of a shakeup there with a player who was very much setting himself up to be a leader on that offensive line suddenly be on the outside looking in when it comes to the the starting five. Yeah, I love that pick. Uh, we we talked about it on on Patreon that it's going to be interesting if they force the hand of Tim Drebno, uh, if McKenzie and um and Richmond to the point where those two guys could be part of USC's best five. So what does that mean? Does that mean that one of them becomes a guard? McKenzie's played guard before in high school. Like, does that create an opportunity there for him? Uh, maybe that would lessen the idea that he has the most to lose, but then what does that mean for someone like Andrew Voorhees? I don't know. Uh, we're going to have to see how that goes. But yeah, I, I think it's an interesting situation. Richmond didn't come to sit on the bench. Uh, so something's going to have to uh, to give there. But I, I think my answer is pretty easy. It's JT Daniels. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... That's a- if, if he doesn't win the starting job, I... I don't like talking about quarterback transfers because I think that most of the time people talk about them in a, a way that isn't necessarily practical. Um, but if he doesn't win the job, he's got to transfer. And, and it, I'm not saying this like immediately, but he could go. He he has a, an opportunity here to, if he wins the job in an impressive way, I think he can win the job and have it really put no doubt that it's his job until he graduates. 
He has that opportunity to do that. He also has the opportunity to lose it to the point where he's not a Trojan in a few months. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, no, like that's a that, great point. That's the, that's the severity of the situation for JT Daniels. Yeah, which would be quite awkward because he has a tattoo on his leg of a uh, Trojan. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it, it's it, it's tons to lose. And that's the big intrigue, right, with the, the quarterback competition is, you know, it feels like it's JT Daniels' job to lose. And so that means that if he, if he does fall short of it, if Jack Sears or Matt Fink's snatches it out from underneath his nose, then where does that leave him? Can he possibly not transfer? Like, at this stage, is there any universe in which he doesn't transfer in that case? I, it's hard to say because the trend these days is to just transfer. Yeah, I, I would still make the case probably that he'd have more of a chance to still play this year even if he lost it. Uh, same thing for Jack Sayers, um, that you might as well just ride out this season. Um, but... The, the point is that JT's got a tremendous opportunity here. Uh, the The problem is it goes both directions. So he's going to have to put in a good camp for him. And the the same thing could be for, for Jack Sears, but Jack Sears didn't start uh, 11 games last year. JT Daniels did. So JT Daniels has more to lose in that sense um, than Jack Sears. Uh, let's get to who has the least to gain slash least to win. Kind of maybe the player that has the least going on this fall camp, the player that kind of has everything locked down and or is just in a position where they just can't win anything. I mean, I feel like it might be it might be Michael Pittman just because like he couldn't possibly be more impressive than he was in spring camp. So I don't know if he has anywhere else to go except to prove himself during the season. But my actual answer on this is going to be twofold. It's I think it's Stephen Carn of my Malapai. And I say that's, this because that's where I was going. the running backs never do anything in camp. Like, they, they don't have real opportunities in camp to show off. And we already, like, you and I talked about this on the on the Patreon previews. It's, it's hard to get a, a feel of, will USC be doing a one-man rotation? Will USC be doing two or three guys in there? Um, it, it feels like, though, that that pecking order already is sort of settled and I don't know I think they are all going to get opportunities the running backs in one way or another so like I don't know if Stephen Carr or Vimalapai can put themselves ahead of the other because that's not what like fall camp doesn't determine that battle ever it just doesn't feel like the running backs ever do anything yeah I think it's that plus there's only four running backs they got to stay healthy um yeah so Maybe that maybe that give, does give them something to lose, right? That if they don't get, stay healthy, that they could lose something that way. But more so, it's like I just all they need to do is stay healthy. Um, you know who they are. You know who they are as players. And yes, you need to see something more from Stephen Carr. You want to see the Stephen Carr that you saw against Stanford uh, two years ago. But that I don't think that can really be proven in fall camp. That's gonna be proven in games more than anything. Uh, last question. Who is the most intriguing player going into fall camp? I think it's Valus Jones. Because we don't, we didn't get to see him in spring camp, but we did get to see a lot of different wide receivers look really good in this new offense. And I don't know where Valus Jones now fits. I don't know where they're going to try and line him up. I don't know how they're going to try and use him. I'm excited to see how they decide 
to get the most out of him. Are we going to see them throw him out there on jet sweeps the way that uh, the, the way that USC's coaches did in, in the last two years? I, I, I'm like he is an intriguing athlete that I think that they will want to try and get involved in this offense. He wouldn't have come back if that wasn't the case. But I don't I don't know where that exactly is going to work out and where he's going to get his t- touches or time where he's going to fit in in that pecking order. I'm very intrigued to see how USC tries to to utilize him and, and get the most out of him because USC hasn't gotten the most out of him uh, in the past two years. Yeah, the interesting thing is it's not a you're you're curious what they're going to do with him in a will they find room for him. It's more of a are you curious because of how they will find room for him. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like. I I think he will have a role. I just don't know exactly what that role will be. Yeah, I, and I think that makes him, you know, super intriguing in that sense. Um, for me, it's Connor Murphy. Oh, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Now is the time for Connor Murphy to sink or swim. A, but B, I think he's going to be in a position with the four man front to really kind of thrive with what he is, especially with his, with his body type and all that stuff. I think it's going to fit him better. Uh, the problem for him is he's at a position where there already is a ton of talent. Uh, Rector, uh, you know, is probably going to be a starter, right? Drake Jackson impressed in, in spring camp is probably going to get a lot of run. Uh, Jacob Lichtenstein has turned heads pretty often, right? Is there going to be an ample opportunity? I don't know. But that kind of adds into the intriguing nature of it because Connor Murphy could be the the guy who comes out of nowhere to be a key contributor for USA this season, or he could be someone that we just end up not hearing from. It's kind of a toss-up for me. No, that's a very, very good point, especially because we've we've sort of gone through the Connor Murphy thing in the past where, oh, is this... Does it, it looks like Connor Murphy is going to have his breakout. Like Connor Murphy's having this big off season and then nothing happens. And then, oh, Connor Murphy is changing positions. Like, let's see where he got, like, will he be able to, to work his way into the rotation? And then, you know, he, he gets sick and nothing happens. Like, so we, we've seen the, I guess, mirage of, of the potential there a couple of times. And I really would like to see it come together. And I think he is set up for it to come together this year, but you got to you know see you got to see him take that step you got to see him um continue to take the progress that he that he had in spring and move it towards uh, the season closer and closer to actual real contributing playing time um which uh, may ultimately be determined in fall camp because like you said there there's going to be competition there Drake Jackson Nick Figaro and a, and a couple other guys are all going to be vying for those uh, for those reps yeah, 100%. Uh, let's go into a tweet that we got from Daniel Cohen, who will be this year's fall camp MVP. Lisa, who you got? I think it will be, um, it, it'll be someone like one of the receivers. It'll be Michael Pittman or Amon Ross St. Brown. I couldn't, I, I'm going to go with Michael Pittman because he was so good in spring. I think he's going to get those opportunities to just show off, but. I, 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 there's there's so much that's up in the air. It's it's hard to say. I think Amon Ra. I, I I think it's interesting because for a while I thought Michael Pittman was so underrated because I thought everyone was talking about 
Amon Ra, and then at some point, everyone started talking about Michael Pittman, and no one's talking about <laughs> Amon Ra St. Brown. Well, no one's talking about Tyler Vaughn's either. Well, like, it's well, weird. No, no one's Tyler definitely Vons talking about Tyler Vaughn's. He's the super most underrated. He's the most underrated player in America, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I could t- definitely see Amon Ra just having a hell of a camp. Yeah. Well, so th- that's on on offense. On defense, I thought about Palaye and Aoteote, but actually, linebackers have a hard time showing off in camp because uh, there's not a lot of tackling and all that kind of stuff. So I actually think I think that it'll be um, Christian Rector. I think J2 Fele had his, his moment in uh, in spring camp. I think Christian Rector is going to hopefully put it all together and, and be unbeatable um, in more more consecutive days. Uh, the, the, he was able to put together a few days in spring camp that were really, really outstanding. Um, but I'd like to see him come sort of full circle where he's able to, to do that on a day-by-day basis. And just talking to him at Pac-12 Media Day, it felt like he was, you know, renewed focus there. So hopefully that uh, that comes comes about. One thing's for sure, without a doubt, if Palier Naoteote is USC's MVP on defense, that will be a sign of a really, really good fall camp, I would think. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, or Talano Ufanga. If Ufanga steps up and is healthy and de- is definitely the guy. Well, I, I mean, the 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 more it looks like either of the safeties are the guy, the much more confident everyone can be about this this defensive situation. Right. As long as they're healthy, of course. Yes. So. Yeah. Just cross your fingers and toes and everything. All right. Uh, let's get into the mailbag. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, let's go to a voicemail we got from Cameron in Frisco. Hey, Raina Troy. It's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I was previously in Provo, Utah, but just recently moved down to Texas. Um, quick question for you, Michael and Alicia, um, concerning Pac-12 Media Day. Um, according to Larry Scott, Larry Scott said a bunch of things, such as like 9 a.m. kickoff times, maybe in the future for um, Pac-12 games, and hopefully the moving of the Pac-12 championship game to um, Las Vegas to the Raiders Stadium in Vegas. Um, do you believe that the move to the Las Vegas Raiders Stadium is actually the best thing that Larry Scott has had has done his whole entire tenure as athletic director? Um, prove me wrong that he's actually done more than just one good thing for the Pac-12 because for right now he's done a plethora of negative stuff and has been a toxic um, person in, in the Pac-12 and in the conference in general. So... I'd like to hear your comments. Thanks. Fight on. Can't wait for Paul Camp to come out soon. Thanks for the call as always, Cameron. I I have so many things to say here. First of all, you're in Frisco, Texas? Dude, go to Hutchings. Yes. Like right now, like stop whatever you're doing and go to Hutchins. Yeah, Hutchins. Why did I say Hutchins? Because Michael, Michael Hutchins. Hutchins yeah. I know. Hutchins. <laughs> go to Hutchins. All you can eat barbecue. It's Rojo's favorite. Uh, they're not sponsoring this podcast, but they should be. Uh, yeah, go to Hutchins. If you're ever in the DFW area, there's one in Frisco. There's one in McKinney. That's where you need to go. Best place. Screw yes. Pecan Lodge. Go to Hutchins. It's Hutchins. Yep. Yeah. Hutchins. 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 Moist brisket. Uh, yep. Uh, secondly, I love the idea of having to play devil's advocate and think of good things Larry Scott has done. Plays right it's, into my MO. It's very it's on brand for, for Michael. <laughs> for Michael. I know, it is. First of all, signing the TV deal, TV deal in general, the first, like, at when the time. When they did, when they did, yeah. When they did. 
Um, I think Ryan Abraham has always made the point that the the issue with the TV deal was the length, and I think that that's probably right, right? Um, if it was a six-year deal instead of a 12-year deal, I think the Pac-12 would be better off because they'd be on the new deal already. Um, and I think that things would be would have been a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, I, there's good and bad there. Um, but in, in terms of the Vegas thing, definitely – the oh, oh Moving the basketball tournament to Vegas. There, there you, go. you go. There's the there's the other one. All of the good things that Larry Scott has done involve Vegas, except for the whole the Vegas Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except for the whole like million dollar suite that they sure. that the executives get during the the basketball tournament. But we'll set that aside. The basketball tournament being in Vegas is a very good thing, and the basketball and the football title game moving to Vegas is a very, very good thing. It is also the most obvious thing they could have done. Sure. Uh, the other thing is, I think the Pac-12's bowl bids are way better now than they've ever been. This is true. Yes. I remember as... <laughs> remember this was 2006 or seven. I used to watch College Football Live on ESPN all the time, and I would write in questions for Reese Davis and everyone on the, on the panel there. Uh, and one time I had a question, and it was Reese Davis reading the question to Jim Donnan. And it was, when is the Pac-12 going to get better bowl bids? And Jim Donnan went on this whole thing about, why do you need better bowls? You got the Rose Bowl. That's all you need. Which really angered me because I'm like, yeah, but outside of the Rose Bowl and the Holiday Bowl, the Pac-12 has terrible bowls. That's not necessarily the case anymore. I mean, they still don't have the bowls that the SEC does, but I think a lot of that is just strictly geography. The Alamo Bowl is better than not having the Alamo Bowl. I, I think the, the the bowl at Levi's, obviously that's a new stadium thing, but I think it's better there than it is uh, at the Giants ballpark. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the what is it now? What is it? The Foster, is it still the Foster Farms Bowl or? The Red Box the Bowl? The Red Box Bowl, I, yeah. Okay, the Red Box Bowl is better than what the Emerald Bowl was, like. In terms of revenue and, yeah. peg, like, where it's, you know, the, 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 the pecking order and, and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah. It is better. I mean, Levi's sucks, obviously, but. But Levi's um, is a stadium, like, it's not a bad stadium, it's just an annoying stadium. Like, that's the problem with it. Like. Sure. Once you're in there and watching the game, it's actually pretty okay. It's just the getting to and getting from and. It's just getting 95% and- of the experience of going to Levi's? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we know that the, the Vegas Bowl is going to move up the pecking order. That's good. Um, we know that the Holiday Bowl is great, but the Holiday Bowl is a little antiquated at this point, and it's sliding down. It's going to at one point so. be the yeah, and it's going to be the fourth best bowl in the Pac-12 instead of what used to be the second best. So I think that's a sign of something that Larry Scott has done good. Um, obviously that there's a million things on on the opposite column. Um, I continue to say that. I don't necessarily think that this is as much Larry Scott as it is the conference as a whole and the direction that the CEOs and the presidents are. That I think if there, if there was any other commissioner, I think the same things would be happening for the most part. Um, maybe the tone of the conference would be different. Um, I think that that's something that, that comes from Larry Scott's vision, but I don't necessarily think the decisions would overly be different. Uh, and that's not the cape for Larry Scott. I think that that's a sign of people need to, to, to look at how deep the conference's issues go. Well, okay, so my 
I am not a Larry Scott uh, apologist or anything of the sort, but I do think there is something, a case to be made in that just like the commissioner of the NFL or the commissioner of the MLB or the commissioner of NBA are, their job is to represent the the desires of the owners, of, of, of ownership, right? Well, Larry Scott's job is to represent the interests of the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. So where Larry Scott goes wrong, often I think people direct their ire at Larry Scott when he is just the the mouthpiece for what the, 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 the conference presidents and chancellors are doing or not doing. So, like, I think sometimes it gets a little bit unfair. And to your point, Michael, the idea that if if it wasn't Larry Scott, if it was some other random person, they would still be ultimately beholden to the 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 uh, philosophies and 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 desires of the people who are who are really in charge, which is the heads of the universities. So. If they wanted to be better, if the if the heads of the universities collectively wanted to be the best football conference and best basketball conference in the NCAA, they would make that happen, regardless of Larry Scott. Yeah, that, that's the other thing that they they've had a million opportunities to fire him. Yeah, and they, and they haven't. haven't. They've, so. they've given him they've made him the highest paid commissioner in college football. So that that's a vote of confidence from the so like. The, as far as I'm concerned, they're the ones who are who are responsible for the monster that is Larry Scott. You know what this is? Uh, this is the when, when people are like the millennials are so terrible. Well, who who raised the millennials? Yeah, <laughs> like like who oversaw the millennials becoming millennials? Yeah, the the boomers or the whatever. And if you're a baby boomer, thank you for listening, and we love you. Um, but the, the, but. I don't know, I'm just saying that there's always a deeper cause and effect to I this. think millennials are the children of the children of the boomers. No. Your parents and my parents are baby boomers. Uh... Yes. Okay, this gets uh, this is a total this is a conversation for another day. I've had this conversation where like I I don't think I think you and I and like my siblings are a different brand of millennial than the millennials are ruining everything millennials because the millennials are ruining everything millennials are the ones who grew up with like their entire life involved uh their child life and childhood involved being connected to the internet having cell phones having ipads all those kinds of things you weren't connected to the internet your childhood no i was like 10 when we got uh a computer in the home. Yeah, but I mean, you were when you were in first grade, didn't you have a computer at school? We had a computer that we played the organ trail on. I don't think not in first grade. It was like in second grade we had the computers where okay, you played the Second little, grade. Okay. Yeah. But like it's different. You, you it, didn't but have a computer a, lab? You went to a rich private school. You didn't <laughs> have all those things. We had a computer lab, but again, like it's it was they were like the computers had the processing power of a of a Texas Instruments uh that calculator. Doesn't matter, though. It doesn't it's matter. different it than still... somebody who grew up with a smartphone. Like it's it's different. It's it feels different. But this is a whole I... other conversation that's that's not scientific and and not to the point. The, the the crux of the matter is what we're saying is Larry Scott needs to be better. 
And yes. Larry Scott's bosses need to be better. You know what it is, Both Michael? Both of them need to be better. You know what it is? Blame Clay Helton all you want, but Clay Helton is an everything that you hate about Clay Helton is enabled by USC's athletic department, and everything yeah. that you hate about USC's athletic department is enabled by USC's university leadership. I think that's one of my frustrations with the Larry Scott stuff is I think people are able to see that, yeah, Clay Hilton is learning on the job and, and that's frustrating and all that stuff, but that's what USC signed up for. Whereas with Larry Scott, like, because people see him as the commissioner and no one, there's no tangential place above the commissioner, right? Like, we know that it's the, the in in sports, it's the owners or the, sorry, the, um, the, the governors in the NBA, I guess now. <laughs> but you um, can you can name those. Like, for instance, you know who Mark Cuban is. You know yeah, who. But, but we don't when we don't look at it as an as an org chart. Yeah. Of, you know, Adam Silver reports to, to Mark Cuban. We don't look at it that way. Right. So we just think we see Adam Silver and we don't necessarily think of who he reports to. But he reports to the owners. Larry Scott reports to the CEO group. He reports to. The, the presidents, right? We don't necessarily see that in our mind as a dr- direct connection, so well, therefore he gets all of the blame. Whereas Clay Helton, we can see there is a direct line from Lin Swan to Clay Helton, so half the blame goes to Lin Swan and half the blame goes to Clay Helton, and half that Lin Swan blame goes to Pat Hayden and, and so on. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the hard thing is, like, I can tell you who USC's president is but i don't know who the president of washington university is i don't know who the president who it of, used to be uh, mark emmert mark mark emmert yeah. yeah but i like i don't know utah's president i, I mean I, I don't even know i should know ucla's chancellor i i couldn't name him like i don't is it I, still gene block i have no i have no clue what, i, I it don't used know to be gene block it, I, I always liked Gene Block as a name. Like that's not like a cool name to me. It, it works. It's simple. But I, I don't know. Gene Block. Nice to meet you. I don't I know if that's, that's the chancellor cool of say. UCLA or I don't know who the president of of Stanford is or the chancellor of Cal is. So like, I don't even know if any of these people care about athletics except insofar as they have to. And I don't know who the ads of all of these programs are. Like I know Dan Guerrero and I know Lynn Swan, but. Nobody else. I, I I'm not aware of who these people are. Like I want to know more, and this this is probably out there. I just haven't again haven't just you know thought about it enough because we don't put a focus on it to right. to to think about it more. The, the, what's the difference between the CEO groups and the presidents? Are they the same people? Like, I have are they no different? idea. Yeah, right. But we, that's, we don't that's know what you're getting at with the organizational chart. There is no clear organizational chart. It's a mess. So who do you blame? Larry Scott right. is an easy target because. He's the only one who you can clearly and directly take aim at when you're angry at something the Pac-12 is doing. Yeah. And that's not to let him off the hook. It's just to explain that it's a lot more complicated than just Larry Scott is bad at his job. Like, I don't think Larry Scott is that good at his job, but I also think the job that he does is a reflection of the poor jobs that a lot of other people in the Pac-12 are doing. Basically, what we're saying is what Cameron says right here. Do I blame Larry Scott for this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Blame everybody. Uh, by the way, nine a.m. kickoffs terrible. Still terrible. I I will take this to to my grave. It is a freaking dumbass idea. I loved I loved what John Canzano said 
about enough with the gimmicks because that's what this is. You want the Pac-12 to be better, just freaking be better. Be better. Have your teams better. Like, every single team needs to be better themselves. Be better. And if you were better, you wouldn't need the gimmick of 9 a.m. game. Like, John Wilner has made the point that, like, no, this is a this is a good idea. But, like, no, it's only a good idea because... Why are you why are you catering your whole conference for what the East Coast thinks? Yeah, you I, shouldn't. I hate that so freaking much. No, again. I hate it. Again, you wouldn't need to cater if you had better teams. And you would have better teams if each individual member school of the Pac-12 took itself more seriously as far as the investment of and management of their athletics programs. Uh, if if Arizona took itself more seriously and hired a, a head coach worthy of its basketball program, if USC took itself more seriously and hired a head coach worthy of its football program, if UCLA, I mean UCLA is now done what they needed to do in terms of hiring a head coach that can, on paper, legitimately make them a contender. But like, not enough of the Pac-12 schools have made it a priority to be great in the revenue sports, and can that I is just, why. I I agree with what you're saying, but. At the same point, the Pac-12 has better coaches than they've ever had ever. Right. But it's all relative to what the other conferences are doing. It's not enough that they have better coaches than before because those better coaches are not producing better results. Well, I I just go back to, you know, I I was listening to uh, our friends over at POC, the Podcast of Champions, and they were talking about, you know, the whole parody versus an elite team thing. And Larry Scott now says that you, you you want both, right? Which I think is the right answer. But I don't understand how, like, from the the conference perspective, if you're Larry Scott, of of course you want to build depth, right? Like his well, you want job, everybody to be good, yeah. Right. His job is to 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 allow everyone to be good. He can't control how good teams are. No. All all he can control, and all the conference in general can control, is the opportunity for teams to be good, right? And and so that's why you see the the TV deal, and you see these teams invest all of them after the TV deal was TV deal was signed early in this decade. All of them invested in new locker rooms. Everyone has new fancy new locker rooms now. Arizona redid part of their stadium. ASU did their redid their stadium. Uh, Utah has a new locker. Everybody has a new locker room. Almost everyone has a coach now that is better than before, with the exception of SC. Look at Washington State. They they went from like Bill Doba and Paul Wolf to Mike Leach. Washington has Chris Peterson. Arizona went from having Mike Stoops to having Richrod, which was a big upgrade for them, right? Like, we can talk about Kevin Sumlin, but, you know, if Richrod didn't have the issues that he did, he'd still be the head coach over there, right? So everyone has gotten better. And so by getting better in structurally um, with better coaches and with better uh, facilities and whatnot. I I think that you can look at it from that perspective that the conference is doing its job to create the opportunity for Except people to be good. For the most important area, the number one reason why the Pac-12 struggles relative to other conferences, in my opinion, is they insisted on the nine-game conference schedule. They went all in on that, and no one else. If everyone else had gone to a nine-game conference schedule, then the then the playing field would be even. The Pac-12 went in on nine games. No one else went, and the Pac-12 was left standing. I won't around. say no one else went though, because the, the the Big Twelve went and the Big Ten went. 
The Big Ten was the big one because the Big Ten didn't have to. The Big 12 wanted to to do the old Pac-10 thing, which is to have a round robin so that way you didn't play everybody but one, which is why the the Pac-10 went into the nine-game round robin schedule in the first place, which is right. a good idea if you have a 10-team league, which the Big 12 does now. So it made sense for them to do that. But the Big Ten making that jump was a good sign in the right direction. It's just that the ACC and SEC didn't follow suit. If anything, they just bluffed it to the point of now they have the advantage of only having eight games and their schedule can be uh, a little bit different. And that is where the Pac-12, I would say, has fallen short to not correct themselves to say, fine, we are going to adjust our scheduling and give up the recruiting trips to California in order to have the extra wins that will get us bowl berths in uh, by going to the eight game conference schedule, so like that's where the, the where the conference is failing. I agree with you on everything that they they've invested more money in coaches and facilities and all that, but where they failed is that structural uh, disadvantage that they've built in for every team in the conference. On top of the scheduling trickery that happens where you you too often make it hard on your team on teams in your conference by having them play uh back-to-back road games friday nights right. all of those kinds of things like which they have gotten better at yes which they have addressed been a problem yes they right. have it they, they've, they've addressed it but the point is that they had to address those because they were setting the conference back and then you took you take all of those things together and you end up with where the pac-12 is now the, the way i look at it there's like three main issues for the pac-12 uh, number one, uh, SC crapped all over itself and has not gotten back to a a position to where they need to be. Yeah, the, pack, the perception of the Pac-12 would be much, much different if USC were a top 10 team every year. Yes. Number two, Chip Kelly left Oregon. And I think Chip Kelly leaving Oregon at the time that he did put Oregon in kind of a tailspin. We saw they weren't able to maintain that position where they were. Um, and yeah, Oregon's still fine now, but they're not Oregon that was Chip Kelly Oregon. And I think that that kind of hurt too. You need an elite team in, in the, in the league and the Pac-12's two elite teams kind of imploded on their own merits, kind of, sort of, um, that hurts. The other thing is the, the gap in, um, in revenue, which is obviously an issue. Uh, and the third is things like scheduling, the nine games, which is great for honor. It's great for building conference, um, you know, for building tough schedules. And that is great. If you win all those games, it's going to look so much better and your playoff chances are going to be better. But if you don't, you end up with a conference champ that has two or three losses and then you're out of the playoffs. So it's a double-edged sword there. Everything else to me stems from those three issues. Um, oh, and well, the other issue is just general um, uh, geography and the time yeah. zones and the Things geography that, that that's change. The, that you cannot control. Everything else is dependent on that. Um, I think that if if those those things get better, if the 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 nine game schedule uh, either goes by the wayside or gets addressed in some sort of way, or the the ACC and the and the SEC adopt it, I think that that helps. If Oregon and SC just get better on a yearly basis uh, and find some consistency and there's an elite team, I think that fits fixes a lot of the problems and everything else makes up for itself. You don't have to play 9 a.m. games as a freaking gimmick. Yeah, especially when I don't think the 9 a.m. games will help your, the product that's on the field. Like, sure, more eyeballs will be on the 9 a.m. games, but 
the product on the field will not be better for having played at 9 a.m. Well, so. the, the 9 a.m. game is only to get into that prime Fox spot, right? Yeah. So that means putting your best games at 9 a.m. Yeah. Which just makes it insane. Can, you know, like we talked about it before. It would suck so much if the the SC Washington game was at 9 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it would suck because that marquee game gets pushed into a time, a time slot that is not ideal for players to play in. Right. Like we talk. We, uh, well, I mean, for, I mean the, no, for two years, me, for two years, we me, looked at Stanford playing Northwestern. Yeah, but th- th- I think it's different. Stanford I, I playing early. Or, no, it, it like biological no, clocks different. get factored in. Like, yeah, but if both teams are on the same biological clock, it cancels out. Yeah, but that, it, so that doesn't really but, matter. No, but to you're me. can't. No, you're canceling out, but you're still lowering the level. Like, it, fine, it, it the competitive nature of the game is still is still at the same level, but you're also lowering the product that you're putting out on the field. The quality of the football that you're playing is lesser no, than think, what it would be if both I teams were in prime the, slot. I think you lower the product by the environment being neutered at. at well, yeah, you're not going to have any atmosphere. That's where you lower the product. No, I think you lower the product in in the player's actual ability to compete I at nine thirty a.m. Because I, I think you go back to everything that the players talked about. Um, they will do anything to uh, to change their body clock for that week. And if both yeah, but teams it's are like, on the it's same like body having clock, a road, it's like having a road game. Like road games are more difficult. Because you're changing your routine, you're go- you're you're traveling, you're yeah, doing different things. Yeah, but both teams are having the, having the right. same issue. I'm not saying that it's an, a competitive disadvantage. I'm saying that the the quality of the football care. that you play in that game will be less because both teams are contending with that change of pace. I I, I get it's it. Just like, it's just like like if somebody that early. if somebody breaks both of our legs and has us both try to run a race. Well, we're both going to be have the same disadvantage, but like it won't be much of a race because we have broken legs if that we're trying to run on. Someone breaks both of my legs, just put me out of my misery. <laughs> like legalize yeah. euthanasia at that point for me. Yeah. Anyways, it was a spirited uh, tangent. Let's let's get yeah. a question from L.A. Fred. Uh, tailgate at nine a.m. Uh, does that change your food prep? Going with breakfast foods or sticking with the traditional? Uh, I don't know that you can tailgate a game that starts at 9 a.m. Yeah, I think that's one of the big problems. I think uh, the guys on Traveler Hits Thursdays were talking about that uh, on their episode this past week about how, like, it's entirely possible that USC wouldn't open parking lots and wouldn't allow tailgating if there were ever a 9 a.m. game. Well, the, the lots would just open at 6 a.m. like they usually do. Yeah. Um, and then what would happen is that you, you just wouldn't have time. Uh, the, the best way to do it would be if you went in the night before, um, with the motor home and you camp there, you can't out, camp yeah, but outside how many the people stadium. are going to do that? Yeah. Well, no, but the, the thing is like, that's what people at LSU do. Yeah. It's what people at, you know, Ole Miss do. It's not what people at USC do. No, no. So but that's answer, where it would hurt. To answer the question, uh, you definitely have to go with breakfast foods. I.e., you probably just get a box of donuts and just let that be your tailgate. Like, can, can I just, like, I have a breakfast take here. Uh, I don't necessarily think you need to go with breakfast foods. I think you can have regular food. Oh, no, 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 no. No, great. You do breakfast burritos. Any excuse to do a breakfast burrito is a good thing, as far okay. as I'm concerned. You do breakfast burritos. 
Because you can prep those. You can you can pre-make those and then just have them there in like a in a insulated box or whatever. Heat them up and stick them in there and then you have them. That that'd be actually pretty good tailgate food. So I'm a big fan of donuts. I like donuts. Yeah. You know I like donuts. Um but you don't get anything out of donuts. Five minutes after you've eaten the donut, you forget you even ate it. Um, like in terms of any, you know, sustenance you're getting from it, it's like virtually zero. Yeah, but I don't think people are tailgating for sustenance. No, but like, but I think you need to be able to, you're, you're eating to the point of you want something in your stomach so you're not starving well, during the game. and that's why breakfast burrito is a good, uh... Breakfast burritos would make sense, good, but yeah. I think you can still cook burgers. The problem is you're going to have to start right at 6 a.m. Yeah, I And you're going to have to just... Be so quick, and yeah, it's it's not ideal. It's yeah. not ideal at all. So, uh, if it was a nine a.m. start and I was going to it, I would probably, I'd probably just drive through a place that has burgers in the morning. Carl's Jr. There you yeah, go. You drive through Taco Bell and get a Taco Bell uh, breakfast crunch wrap. That could work too. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Foley. What's the biggest win of the year going to be? Uh, this is my hot take on the schedule. I think USC beats Washington. I, I I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Yeah. I just have a feeling. I think USC is going to beat Washington. I don't think it, I thought, I, I think that USC beating Washington won't necessarily be a reflection of whether or not the season goes well or poorly. I just think they're going to beat Washington. I think if we're, if we're answering the question is what has the biggest chance of being the biggest win of the year? That has to, that or Utah would be it. Yeah. In terms of what has the chance, because well, Utah could really be the biggest win of the year because beating Utah puts you in pole position to win the Pac-12 yes. South. So that's huge. Yes. But Washington has the clout. Yeah. That Utah maybe necessarily doesn't have, uh, at least not yet. Um, and beating Notre Dame would would be great for SC but I think at the end of the day if you if you beat Notre Dame but don't do anything in the Pac-12 I don't think it matters. Yeah. Um and then Oregon is just not I, I it doesn't Oregon move the does needle nothing, for me. Yeah. Does not do anything for Maybe me. Maybe when we get no. closer to that game it'll start moving the needle but it's just like in this Yeah. yeah. I'll I'll go ahead and say if SC beats Utah that would be the biggest win. And I'm not predicting that they will. I'm just saying that if they do that would be the biggest win. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Donald. If you play Devil's Advocate, what game do you see USC stumbling? Uh, we're going to do our predictions probably, you know, the, the week before the season starts. Uh, let me just say there's an in-state road game. It's the one-eyed circle. Stanford? Mm, I think it's Stanford at home. Oh, Stanford at home. Oh, you think Cal. No, my my game that I think USC stumbles is Stanford. I've suddenly, I've become very high on Stanford for no good reason, except that I think KJ Costello is the truth. So, yeah. I could talk myself into BYU being the stumbling game, too, Mm. but uh, Cal would be the one that I would circle for now. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to a Slack message from Dave in Orange County. Uh, The hate that Clay Helton continues to get is pretty remarkable. Uh, I get the back-to-back underwhelming seasons is quite the indictment. Yes, the Darnold Pac-12 championship year was underperforming. Uh, but there is no ability to give him any credit for making some good moves and generally rooting for his success this season. Why is it too much 
to root for him to turn this all the way around and go 11-1 this season and get a fat extension and keep rolling. Does he have no chance to actually improve as a coach? His first impression is just going to be it. I'd love it if our head coach for the next 20, if he was our next coach for the next 20 years, rack up about 10 to 15 Pac-12 South crowns, five to eight playoff teams, including a pair of national championship trophies. Wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be great? Is it USC Twitter's opinion that it'll never happen, so just cut the cord now? I can't live my life in that sort of negativity. Call me Optimistic Dave. And, but I'm hoping for Pete Carroll level of surprise and turnaround. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Optimistic Dave. I, I, this is my big frustration with the whole Clay Helton question, is that I'm willing to give him a chance. Like, I am willing to see what he does. I, I think that what he's done this offseason has been enough change on the surface for me to think, okay, he's actually re- recognized what went wrong last year and he's taking steps to, to fix it. And I don't know if those steps are going to actually fix it, but I know that he's trying. I genuinely believe that he's trying. And so I'm going to give him the opportunity to win me back over. I just wish there were more people who sort of were able to look at it and say, you know what? Let's see how this goes. Let's see how this plays out. Because you know what? We're going to have to live through it no matter what. So if you want to be miserable before it all happens, then go ahead and be miserable. But like Dave, I just can't. I can't with that. Like, I'm willing to to give him a shot. I'm willing to see how this all plays out. I think that's what you have to do at this point, right? Because that decision's already been made for you that he's coming back this year, so you kind of have to. Yeah, no matter how much you rail against him, it's not going to change the fact that he is USC's head coach today, and he will be tomorrow. Right. Right, 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 right. Um, I, I, I think that Dave answered the question himself here when he said that, is it USC Twitter's opinion that it'll never happen, so just cut the cord now? Yeah, I think that's it. Um, that's exactly it. Um, yeah, I think he can turn it around. The problem is he's going to have to prove it and have to show that he does it th- now, like immediately. He's going to have the, the flip, the, the switch is going to have to flip so hard this year, um, that it's hard to imagine it just because we haven't seen it. Um, and I think that once we start to see it, if it, if it does happen, I think people would eventually come around at some point. It would just be, it would have to be proven. And what's it going to take to be considered proven? Uh, we've talked about it on Slack. I think our buddy, you know, Richard Rapp talked about it once that, like, even if SC wins the Pac 12, there'll be that, or, or the Rose Bowl, there'll be that doubt in your head. Well, he's done this before and he still had a five and seven season. So at what point will you be comfortable enough to say, this is Clay Helton and this is not just. Oh, him riding the talent along to a victory, or, or or whatever the the argument would be at that point. I don't know. You have to f- cross that bridge when you well, get there. I guess. I think it's being competitive against the elite head coaches of the day. So, like, Which, if he to goes be into- fair, to be fair, he beat Chris Peterson. Well, he, gr- he beat James Franklin. So he needs to. He beat. You know, Kyle Whittingham. He needs like, to be competitive against Nick. He doesn't necessarily need to beat Nick Saban in 2020, but right. he needs to stay close. He needs to have his team feel like they deserve to be on the same field for okay, all four okay, answer, quarters. Answer me this: So, is this the is this the the redemption arc for Clay Helton? Win the conference, win the Rose Bowl, keep the Alabama game within a possession. 
Yeah, that if he, would be... If he, does all, if he does all of those three things, will then people be over it? I don't know if people would be over or is it, it because... Or is it going to take a, a win against Alabama? People are hard to pr- to to please. But for me, like, sure. I can only speak for myself. I think if Clay Helton was able to keep USC within a possession, to lose a one-possession game against Alabama in 2020, having won the Pac-12 the year before... I think that would go a hell of a long way towards me thinking. AKA proving that you belong in the same field kind of thing. Exactly. Because my big thing has been, I don't care if you can win Pac-12 titles if you get to the playoff and get bounced like Washington has. So The the, the problem is the Alabama game is next year. Yeah. If you, let's just say, let's just say hypothetically, SC repeats 2016, right? Yeah. Which Uh, would be. They... They or actually they no they do something else they they win the conference and the Rose Bowl, um and so obviously you're you're going to bring him back at that point but you bring him back and SC still loses by thirty to Alabama, then you're that you're, that, 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 that would, would be suck. the ultimate gut gut punch because it's like well yeah you were supposed to bring Helton back at that point but the the gap wasn't closed of where you still need to see it that was like after 2017 people saying USC should fire Helton and I'm just sitting there going like. Yeah, but he just won the Pac-12. Like, I know the Cotton Bowl sucked, but he like he just won the Pac-12. You can't fire him. Like, you know, you're in a you're in a crapshoot. Right. But that goes back to what I've always said: if if you're gonna be frustrating, if if you're gonna have people upset, at least have trophies to show for it. Yeah. Which in that scenario, Clay Helton would. But yeah, to, to to go back to it, Dave. Yeah, I think you have to give him that opportunity to to prove wrong. Uh, it's just if, until he shows it, that doubt's always going to be there, and that's why. Uh, it's hard to buy into it. Uh, let's go to an email from Ed in the Bay Area. This is the one that we mentioned last week on the CarCast. Uh, Michael, you are wrong yet again. The media guide clearly points to who will start. They may not have written clues specifically, but I guarantee that the football staff approved what was being written for each player, and what was written indicates JT will start, period. Fight on, Ed in the Bay Area. Thank you, Ed, for the uh, for the email and... Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. I, I I think that uh, I don't think that what's written in the media guide is the end all and be all. But I do think that it is a reflection of the thinking of the coaching staff to a point. And I think it's the reflection of the thinking of the SID department. But yeah, agree to disagree. Hmm. Uh, let's, let's go. It was a great email, though. Uh, and we had a <laughs> great laugh in, at the yeah. moment. Because uh, we were sitting there with our, with our friend Keely Yor when it popped up, and it was great. <laughs> but let's go to an email we got from Randy. Hey, Michael and Alicia, what second-year player are you most excited about this season? Guys like Palaye and Amon Ra showed star potential as freshmen. Who else among the second-year players can have a breakout year? Keep up the good work, Randy. Uh, I think Talano Hafanga is the, the guy that really stands out there. As somebody who like could just blow up in his uh, in his sophomore season, uh, assuming he can stay healthy. Um, who else? Who else is a? Uh, I mean, Devin Williams. Devin Williams is getting some some publicity as far as his potential for the light turning on and and having a little bit of a breakout season. Although it's going to be hard with as many guys around uh, the the receiving core as USC has. Um, but you know, could be for all we know, it's, it really could be JT. It really, really could be JT. Like, I'm not JT's biggest fan, but it would not surprise me in the slightest if he came out and had a really, really stellar sophomore season. 
Yeah, I, I think it's Hufanga for me. Uh, who am I most excited about this season? Hufanga. Uh, well, well, I, it's, that's tough because Amon-Ra and, and Pelier, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about them too. But um, Hufanga is definitely because I think that he's the one to overlook, mostly because he was just solid last year when he played. Um, and he was impressive. And I think he has the ability to just be a strong, solid player. Um, and at worst, I think he, he'll be Marvel Tell, who was good, pretty good, right? Solid, good, very good. Um, maybe not highlight real plays all the time, but just very good. And at the high end of things, I think he can be really damn good and potentially like an all-American talent. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy? Can he continue to build on where he started as a freshman? Because I like a lot of it uh, that we saw last year. Just a matter of seeing more of it. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from Sean and Beautiful Austin, Texas. In your view, what does success this year look like? Um, winning the Pac-12 South, not being blown out by anybody. Um, having an offense that feels like it's moving and building towards something. Um, yeah, but mostly when it comes to results, it's winning the Pac-12 South and then being in the Pac-12 title game. Um, I think winning the Pac-12 title game would go a hell of a long way, but just feeling like you were competitive against whoever your opponent in that game was, being competitive is really important. Yeah, I'm with you there. Part of me looks at this strictly as a eye test thing. Yeah. Just because of, well, cause of you the could, quirks that, that can go on, you right? Could repeat that can the, go on. You could repeat the 2017 season with a hell of a lot less patience because we've already been through that season. Or you can repeat the 2016 season. They didn't win the South. Yeah, but they but passed they, the eye test. They, they passed the eye test. They won the Rose Bowl and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's the combination of both those things. Um, either have something to show for it and feel good about it, or pass the eye test. I, I I could see a situation where SC goes eight and four and I'm saying this is a damn good eight and four team. Yeah. Um, on the surface, eight and four is like, that's not good enough. Right. But the eye test, I think could sort of matter there. Inversely, I could see a situation where this team is 10 and two and the eye test says no. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of goes back and forth for me. I, I don't think there's a clear cut answer in there. Um, when we get to it, I think we'll know if it's successful or not, but I don't think there's a clear-cut thing as of right now. Uh, second question from Sean in beautiful Austin, Texas. Will Army play a bowl game past January 1st this year? Uh, uh, <laughs> so, sorry, Sean. I'm, I'm not willing to go that far. I'm willing to think that there's a pretty good shot. So I'm looking at the bowl schedule. Um, On January 2nd, there's the, the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, and there's the Birmingham Bowls between the SEC and the Athletic, uh, the American Athletic Conference. There's a chance neither one of those conferences fills out their thing, because that's like the eighth or ninth or tenth SEC team, and probably somewhere on the I don't know what AAC team it is. Like, uh, there's also the Armed Forces Bowl January fourth, Mountain West versus Big Ten, probably really low on the Big Ten side of things maybe they don't fill a spot and army can move into an armed forces bowl which i think is would be pretty on brand there i don't know there's a chance there's a chance there's always a chance would be fun 
Like I would I would enjoy that. Like I think it would be very cool. But I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I don't know. Army doesn't have direct uh bull ties, so keep an eye open. Uh we're, we're rooting for you, Sean. Uh in beautiful Austin, Texas. That's gonna wrap up this episode though. Uh episode three hundred and twenty-two coming to you here at the end of the off season. Again, fall camp starts on Friday for USC, which means Alicia's fall camp practice car cast start on Friday over on Patreon, patreon.com slash reign of Troy. Also on Patreon up now as part of our 10 part series. Look at all of USC's position groups, group by group, unit by unit. We started on defense. Today are the quarterbacks. Our last two on Thursday and Friday are going to look into special teams and then the coaches to wrap it all up. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can subscribe. You get all of our bonus content for $5.55 a month and we'll send you a sticker in the mail. Uh, for 10 bucks. you can join our Slack channel and talk to us and have a discussion, uh, which really livens up, you know, once college football season comes around. It'll be a blast for that as well. So, do that. Check that out. As always, our email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com. Send us any ad inquiries, send us any questions for the show, or what have you. Phone number 213-373-1872. I think that's it. least you got a final word? The final word is practice. As in, there will be a lot of talking about practice. I was wondering if that's where you're going. Yep. We're talking about practice next week. Well, this week. Yeah, this week. Yeah. For sure. All right. Uh, Until then, we will see you. See you. See you. See you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.